How's it going, guys? We're almost there, y'all. Come on. Everybody just, like, maybe relax a little bit, shrug your shoulders, smack the person sitting next to you. Do whatever you need to do. Um, For those of you who have been here all night, and I know most of you have, for those of you who have just gotten here, uh, it's been really cool. Most of the homilies, most of the, the songs have been revolving around a theme of finding a way when there is no way. And if you've been here all night, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, honestly, I think in every, every single reading, every single person who has come up, uh, even with a word, people who have written music, most of the homilies have been something to the effect of, this was impossible, and God found a way. Like, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Like, what next? And then God found a way. Uh, the Red Sea, Brett talked about the Red Sea. Like, there's an army, they had swords, there's this huge ocean. Like, how is God going to get past this? Um, I think in more, I've had the, the idea of a video game in my head. You know how when you're playing a video game, you play like certain bad guys and they get worse and worse and worse until you get to the boss? Those of you who have never played a video game, come talk to me later or any of these folks and they can tell you what the boss is at the end of the video game. I feel like that's where we are right now. Not only have many of you survived all the first levels and you've gotten to the dry bones, which is amazing, we're here at death, right? God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and when you're walking through the readings, you get to the valley of dry bones, and they're literally dead. It's the last enemy. The worst enemy is death. I'm going to say basically the same thing that everyone has said all night but from a different vantage point. And it really is, I think, especially with Holy Saturday, where we're coming. So we we get to this point and we face death. So what does God do about that? Uh, Please pray with me and then I'm talk for a little bit. Lord, God, thank you so much for, for the space tonight. I feel like I have taken a bath in scripture, in prayer, Uh, The air is thick, Lord, with your spirit, with your glory, with your heaviness. You are good, Lord, and your love endures forever. Heavenly Father, the people in the Gospels had the Old Testament. They knew it like the back of their hand. They walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. And when he died, no one knew that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. No one could believe it. And even when he was raised from the dead, they still doubted. Lord, we repent of the fact that we have heard this story a thousand times and we place ourselves right alongside them because we know apart from you, we cannot come to believe and actually believe the resurrection apart from your power. I pray that tonight, Lord, the, the levels would drop a few floors not just in this hour, but in the next and an Easter morning, that we would leave this experience with a deeper understanding that the resurrection happened. It does happen, and it will happen. In your name we pray, amen. Um, I don't know if there could be a better text to preach on at four in the morning than the Valley of the Dry Bones. This is perfect, right? It's dark. Literally, look outside. Guys, the, the sun's about to come up. We're almost there. But this is the deepest, lowest part. It's the belly of the whale, right? Not only that, it's Holy Saturday, the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday when the disciples are mourning, they're full of despair, and it's the day that Jesus was dead. 
He lay cold and stiff on a stone slab in a tomb. You can be sure the tomb was dark and full of an eerie silence. So in two hours, the sun's going to pour through those windows, and we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remembering the same dawn that happened 2,000 years ago that would forever shift the direction of the universe. But not yet. Right now, Jesus is actually still dead, and the early stages of putrefaction are setting in. The hope of the world is dead as a doornail. Tonight, all I want to do is very briefly, I guess this morning, I think of when it's dark outside, it's night, so anyways. This morning, all I want to do is very briefly suggest that Holy Saturday, coming to sit before the corpse of Jesus, is the same thing as nervously tiptoeing our way down to the valley of dry bones. And that just as the Spirit of the Lord brought Ezekiel to the valley to teach him something, so the Spirit of the Lord brings us to the tomb on Holy Saturday to teach us the same There's a lesson, and if we're not careful, we miss it. I want to suggest that the reason the Spirit brings us to the tomb of Jesus, even before it is triumphantly empty, is to ask us the same question that he asked Ezekiel. Son of man, can these bones live? I want to suggest that this question, as it's posed to us, is an essential part of Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday. This question is the battleground of faith, and it's this place that we find ourselves continually in as we live after Jesus' resurrection and before our own. Walking by faith and not by sight means learning how to consistently answer that question in the affirmative. Son of man, can these bones live? So, Uh, I'm just going to quickly walk us through what I think is is actually like a three-part drama to the valley. The first act is death. Long before the resurrection happens in the Valley of Dry Bones or on Easter Sunday, we are confronted with stone-cold death, and the Bible goes to great lengths to make sure you know that without any ambiguity. In other words, it's not that hope is dangling by a thread. The hope has actually been completely severed. Brad actually talked about this earlier tonight. Hope's gone, Okay. The great theologian Billy Crystal from The Princess Bride says it well when he says there's a big difference between being mostly dead and all dead. We can be sure we're dealing with all dead. The word dry used in Ezekiel, I've ever thought, like, why is it super weird that it's called dry bones? That word is actually what it, the same word that the Bible uses to talk about like a decaying or, or withered tree or a riverbed that's completely dry. It's gone. So the bones are far away from resuscitation or medical help. You know, Israel says, our hope is lost. Indeed, we are cut off. It's really important to get this because it's foundational for understanding the power of God. It's like Elijah telling the prophets of Baal, hey, take some water and go ahead and chuck it on the wood. God is saying, I'm about to do something impossible. And before I do it, I want you to actually know that it's impossible. In a similar manner, after the resurrection, the Jews were quick to try to conjure up some story about how they, you know, people stole Jesus' body in the same way people are thinking, you know, well, what if, what if Jesus just passed out from the trauma of crucifixion and he kind of like snapped to later and that's how we explain the resurrection? No. Just as important as it is to experience the risen Messiah, 
it is actually really important to experience the dead Messiah. The second act is the question, right? We stand before these bones, before a hope that has been completely stolen from us and cut off. And we hear the Spirit whisper in our ear, Son of man, can these bones live? Essentially, the Spirit asks, what kind of God do you think I am? What rules or boundaries do you think govern my power? And is it stronger than death? What kind of world, what kind of reality do you think you actually live in? We can see from the scriptures and I think our own lives that God loves to continually bring us to these places. As I've said, it's the battleground of faith. It's the place where the innermost beliefs of our heart are shaken, our foundations are challenged, the whole gamut. Um, A perfect example of this comes from the Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky. Uh, There's a painting in the 16th century by a guy named Hans Holbein, but you didn't know I was going to drop Hans Holbein on you tonight, did you? But I did. Um, The painting is called The Body of the Dead Christ in the Tomb, okay? It's this super disorienting, grotesque, life-size scale of Jesus dead, lying in his tomb. Um, In 1867, Dostoevsky went out of his way to see this in Switzerland, and it's As the story goes, he stood there before it all day, and he even got up on a chair to look at it closer, and his wife actually had to drag him away before he had an epileptic fit. Crazy. He was a crazy dude. What what he was transfixed by, though, was the tension in the painting. He knew that that sight was the battleground of faith. He incorporated it later into a novel called The Idiot, and I'm going to read an excerpt here that I think is actually really powerful. So, and I quote, It is strange to look on this dreadful picture of the mangled corpse of the Savior and to put this question to oneself. Supposing that the disciples, the future apostles, the women who had followed him and stood by the cross, all of whom believed in and worshipped him, supposing that they saw this tortured body, this face so mangled and bleeding and bruised, and they must have seen it, how could they have gazed upon the dreadful sight and yet have believed he would rise again? The thought steps in, whether one likes it or not, that death is so terrible and so powerful that even he who conquered it and his miracles during life was unable to triumph, it, triumph over it at last. He who called to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead man lived, he was now himself a prey to nature and death. Unquote. So God intentionally brings us to the lowest and the darkest place possible. Not where we simply wonder if hope has been lost, but where we see the actual physical evidence that hope has died, where we actually hear death laughing. It is why the Spirit of God led Ezekiel to the valley, and it is why the Spirit of God leads us before Jesus' corpse on Holy Saturday. We are asked the question, Son of man, can these bones live? What do you think? The third and final act is the resurrection. After confronting loss and death, after wrestling in the tension of what God has promised us and what is obviously before us, we witness the unthinkable, the unimaginable. We hear God breathe. We see flesh and sinews creep over a pile of exceedingly dry bones and turn them into a 
huge troop of an exceedingly great army. This is not a magic show from God. It's not a flexing of his muscles. It's a grace that teaches us how to answer again and again the question of, Son of man, can these bones live? The answer, brothers and sisters, on this 4.30 in the morning on Holy Saturday is yes, they can. Not only do we witness the resurrection, but it comes to us in tandem with tons of promises. I mean, that whole passage that Dan read earlier is so full of promises. To read you a few, then the Lord God said, behold, I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves. You shall know that I am the Lord when I raise you from your graves. I will put my spirit within you. You shall live. God says, I have spoken. I will do it. So tying all this together, what does it mean for us? As Christians who are living in between Jesus' resurrection and the hope of our own future resurrection, I think it is fair to say that much of our life is actually like Holy Saturday. We are constantly from birth until we are buried in the ground being confronted with bones. And in each place, God asks us the question, Son of man, what do you think? Can these bones live We are led into the valley of dry bones, into the tomb of Christ, to learn the answer so that when we experience loss of hope and death, we are not fooled. We can laugh because we have actually been to that valley before. We've smelled death, and we have watched the flesh and sinews creep over the bones and heard the breath fill them with life. When we learn this, resurrection faith begins to control our imaginations in the way we live. And we realize that the world as it appears before our eyes is actually not the whole story. It's a shadowy, fickle thing in comparison to the eternal power and purposes of God. As a simple meditation, as I'm drawing to a close, I pray that God would convict us of the places in our life right now, me, you guys, of where we're confronted with bones. Where is that for you right now? It could be the death or the dying of a loved one. It could be the deathly cold hardness of somebody's heart. It could be your heart. It could be my heart. It could be despair over the state of the world. It could be despair of the state of the church. This is Israel, by the way, that has died. And they're saying, Israel's cut off. God's people are cut off. I, get dis- I despair over the church all the time. Let this be a reminder, brothers and sisters, no river too wide, no desert too broad, no heart too hard, no corpse too dead. The same spirit that breathed over the bones and who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. With everything we have just covered, we should absolutely tremble when we hear Paul say in Romans 8, and I quote him, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, which dwells in you. May we continually revisit the valley to be filled with a picture of the power and promises of God. And as each of us are confronted with bones, may we continually learn how to answer the great question of faith. Son of man, can these bones live? Amen.